Just want to say welcome again, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching live stream. If you are watching live stream, uh, we're trying to survey you folks. There are quite a few of you and more all the time. If you would just go to that survey link out there, stjstl.net backslash stream 16, that would be really helpful for us to have some feedback and some conversation with you. So we just want to invite you to do that. And then to the people in the room and also to those folks, I just want to commend you for being here. You know, there's, there's something about faith that leaks. You know, if, if we stay away from the Lord, if we stay away from his hearing, uh, we become weaker in our understanding of what God wants for us in life. So it's really important that we continue to expose ourselves to the power of God's word and allow his Holy Spirit to remind us and to reinforce those things that we know to be true that fade over time. Let's pray as we begin our message today. Gracious Lord, we commend ourselves to you. I pray that the words of my mouth as, as the designated teacher today and, and the thoughts of all the assembled and, and those who are live streaming, Lord, that, that they would be attuned to your truth for their life and they would be empowered and directed and enabled to accomplish those things that you would have them do to their benefit to the benefit of our world and to your glory. This we pray in Christ. Amen. We are students of the culture here. You know, we don't dress and we don't play the music that a lot of Christian churches uh, play or the way that they dress because we believe that we need to be in tune with the culture. In in fact, we have three pillars for our church. We want to be biblically sound because there's no power apart from God's word. So we don't compromise there. We don't try to be politically correct there. And and I know that that makes it hard sometimes for us to get our head around, you know, what we're teaching. Biblically sound, culturally relevant, and outwardly focused. And you'll see elements of that in all that we do. And today, culturally relevant, I'm curious always about our culture and what's going on in our culture. And in America at this time in the spring, it's kind of interesting to see what goes on. You know, it's, it's a time of completion. You know, you travel around the country, you attend graduations, you know, you send cards and gifts to encourage young people who have just been confirmed or who are about to marry. It all happens this time of the year. And we want to the best for them, and we, and we want to give them uh, the advice from our experience as best we can, and, and we try to help them avoid some of the mistakes that we've made, and also embrace some of the truths that we've found to be helpful. Well, God is no different. In, in fact, Moses, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness with God's people, and he finally brought them to the Jordan, and they were about to cross over into the promised land you know, that they had been waiting to receive, Moses made one last speech. And Deuteronomy is the sum total of that speech. In fact, the whole book is his farewell message to the children of Israel. And repeatedly in that chapter, he says, God has set before you blessing and curse, life and death. Please, please choose blessing, choose life. He begs with the children of Israel that they would make good decisions, that they would uh, base their life on the truth that he knows will be helpful in their life. It's almost like a graduation speech that Moses makes to the children of Israel. And, And why does he have to do that? Why does he do that still for us? Because our human nature fights against it. 
You know, we don't exercise as we should. You know, we eat the wrong foods. We drink in excess. You know, our bad habits, you know, constantly fight against our best intentions. You know, I think even when it comes to religion, when it comes to faith, we think that faith somehow is onerous, that faith somehow is, is going to be a, a guideline of rules that are only going to make our lives more miserable. And God says that's just not the case. In fact, that's what this series is about. God invites you to enjoy life that is life indeed, the good life. And he begs you to believe that. And as you believe that and as you move in that direction, you will find not only does his blessing follow, that's not the main point, he just knows how we're wired. He knows how the world is made. And when we follow his instruction, we receive the blessing that comes from that behavior because that's the way life is meant to be lived. And so he begs with you, choose life, choose blessing. All those other things, they're not going to lead to a good place. Now, I know that there is power in God's word. In, in fact, Isaiah, in chapter 55, an incredible chapter, says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, he has better in mind for us. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways better and higher than your ways. Trust me. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven. And what does it do? It does not return without watering the earth. It causes things to flourish. You know, that's the parallel he's making. It makes it bud and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will cause you to flourish. It will cause you to bud and to sprout. And it will not return to me empty. But will accomplish what I desire. And achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You know, when I talked about how faith leaks or, or how our understanding of God's word leaks, that's why I commend you to expose yourself to the gentle rainfall of the Lord often. Because although it, it falls like that, a gentle rain... Uh, I've discovered that it, it also overflows and, and it runs away. And uh, there is a, a wash-off and water that doesn't get used properly. God wants us to avoid that. He doesn't want us to experience the runoff of his favor. He wants us to receive it and to be blessed by it. Now today we're talking specifically in the good life about the um, the dark side of his favor. Now, all of us who have been parents and all of us who have been children, and I think that would include most of us, uh, would know that you can hurt people with favor. You can hurt people with blessing. You know, if, if you don't bring discipline, if you don't build character at the same time that you're blessing people with possessions, with opportunities, you will not strengthen your child you will weaken your child. You know, if you just spoil them with things and opportunities and they never learn to handle them well, uh, you have not done them a favor. You've done them a disservice. Now, just think about that. Now, some of us have natural limits on what we can do to bless our children. I think probably all of us do. But some less than others. I've always admired people who have significant resources and still do a good job of raising their children with character 
and care as much about that as they do favoring them with the resources at their disposal. Now put yourself in the place of God. You think about the dark side of blessing. There is nothing God cannot do for you right now. The gold in all the mountains, the cattle on a thousand hills all belong to God. He could give them to you. You know, he could answer every one of your prayers in the midst of all of your struggle. And we know that because of Jesus. He can, he can heal all of your diseases. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just make you all wealthy? Why does he uh, cause you to struggle instead of just dumping more and more blessing on you? Because he's a good, good father, as we sing in the song. He knows that would destroy you in your relationship with him. So along with the blessing, he also must develop our character. And he must allow us to experience things that still cause us to rely on him in faith. It's just so important. Uh, in, in fact, blessing always has a dark side. And God wants to make sure that the dark side doesn't override the blessing. Nowhere is that better seen uh, than in uh, what is sometimes called uh, a strength finder. Uh, this is uh, kind of the, the current hot thing. It, it's, it's not so current. It's been out there 15 years. But now Discover Your Strengths is, is like the advice book for people in uh, life or in relationships or in work especially. Uh, a previous generation had Norman Vincent Peale's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, then came along the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, and this book, Strength Finders, which first came out this way, but now there's Strength Finders 2.0, and there's been all kinds of spin-offs on this concept where you can discover your uniqueness. And, and the concept is this, that too often too many people spend too much time working on their shortcomings rather than their strengths, and that's wasted effort. And, and in fact, it also kind of bursts the bubble that there is a well-rounded person. We all have strengths. But those strengths also bring with them a dark side or weaknesses. Uh, if you take the survey uh, that's offered through the Strength Finders, you'll find that there are 30 different uh, characteristics of personality that are examined. And, and you will come to understand what your uniqueness is compared to everyone else in the world. Now, they can be divided into different ways, but often they're divided into four categories like this. Uh, influencing, relationship building, executing, and strategic thinking. Uh, influencing people are able to motivate others to get things done. Relational people are able to build teams, which is so important in getting things done. Executing people just get tasks done. You know, they're hardworking. Strategic thinking are the analytical people, the people who love spreadsheets. You know, they're necessary in my world, although they aggravate me to death. You know, the strategic thinking people are also necessary. But each one of these, although strengths, also has a dark side. An activator, which is one of the 30 qualities in the influencing category, an activator are people that make things happen. We need folks like that. The dark side of people like that are they often speak before they think. And they sometimes get too far ahead of other people. You know, because they're so eager to get things done and so eager to say, come on, come on, we can do this. So there's a dark side to that kind of strength. We'll go through just four quickly. The analytical people, the strategic people, they're logical, they're smart, they're thorough, but they can be rude, they can be slow to adopt to change, and they are rarely satisfied. I'm not going to name names, but I know a few of those people, and they are important. They cause me good pain in life. 
uh, analytical people. And then uh, adaptable people, they are relational. And we need relational people. We need people to say, slow down, take care of your people, take care of your team. They uh, go with the flow, they live in the moment, they're caregivers, but they can be indecisive, they can be lacking in direction. They are not necessarily everything that's needed in an organization, but they are needed in an organization. There is a dark side to that quality. And then finally, in the executing, the people that just get stuff done, the achiever, they are productive, they are hardworking, but they can become overcommitted, they can be driven, and they can drive others uh, who aren't built like them and to their frustration until finally they just totally bail and they can lack balance in their life. You know, every blessing has a dark side. We're talking about the dark side of God's favor today. You know, why doesn't he just pour out blessing on us? Because he's concerned for the dark side. Solomon, one of the wisest men, in fact, the scripture says, the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth, uh, wrote a a prayer or a request to God in Proverbs chapter 30. And we're going to use that as the basis of our study today from Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. And uh, as as we see what Solomon asked of God, I wonder what you would ask of God. Uh, Think a parallel thought as we read this verse today. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. First, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Don't want those folks around me. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily needs. Otherwise, I may have too much and say, who needs God? Why would you bless me if it turned against you? disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or if I'm on the other side of that equation, I have too little. I may still and, and be upset with you and dishonor the name of my God. So give me the food that is my portion, not too much, not too little. Solomon asked two things of God. It's interesting as I, as I looked at that and, and studied that with uh, the sermon study team this week, uh, there is a common thread in both of those. You know, keep deception and lies far from me and give me the food that is my portion. It's all about trust, Lord. I want to trust those people that are around me and help me also to trust you, that you will provide what I need and also the ability to manage the things that you provide. That was his request. I wonder what two things you might ask for. Uh, I think my request might be different than that. I think I might say, make me popular with others, Lord. Keep critics and naysayers far from me. Don't have time for those people. You know, it wasn't so much about trust. It was, you know, help people to help me accomplish my purpose in life. And I might pray instead of, you know, give me just my portion, not too much and too little. I would say, pour some serious resources into my life, Lord. So I can always have more than enough for myself. And and I'm sure I'll help others as well. That's not what Solomon asked for. You know, God is serious in his concern about not blessing us to the point of distraction or to the point of hurting us. Now, I don't know about how you were raised, but uh, I was raised in in this house on uh, 1517 Stoltz Road. Uh, The only difference between the picture of this house, which which I I took not so long ago when I went home for a funeral, uh, I... I once 
took my family by that house because uh, my kids' wives have never seen that house. And, and it was kind of funny. When, when I grew up, that little nice deck wasn't off to the right there. And, and there was no garage and it wasn't sighted and it didn't have shutters. It was just a white clapboard house uh, on a stone foundation uh, with, it, with dirt underneath it. And it was uh, a very impoverished example. And we pulled across the street because uh, the railroad it runs across the street from this house. And the railroad people that worked on the trains would park across the street. So when, when we, I brought my family to see this house, I, I pulled off to the side on the opposite side of the street, like we often did when we parked there. And, and some big dogs, boom, jumped up against the window because they saw us there. And I said to my wife and to my family that was in the back seat, I said, wow, looks like some hillbillies have moved into that house. And Carol said, there's always been hillbillies living in that house. <laughs> just, just saying, just saying, keeping it real. You know, but I, I, I think about my folks, you know, give me neither poverty nor riches. They lived on the poverty side of things. They really did. And uh, it's just amazing what they did with their family. My dad was a World War II vet. He came back from the war and started making babies, you know, in that house, which had just two rooms upstairs and where that little add-on, there was a bedroom there. There was no indoor plumbing, uh, but they had seven kids in that house. Uh, just incredible that they, that they did that. And uh, we took our baths in a galvanized tub uh, with high back chairs and the boys always bathed last. I don't know why, but the girls got the fresh water. It's just the way it worked out. And, uh, you know, we, we never thought of ourselves as uh, not having much, but that was just reality. My dad sanded floors for a living. We worked with him when hardwood was in. Uh, carpet came in and uh, took over America, kind of put him out of business. He had to go work for a factory. I don't think in his lifetime he ever made more than $15,000 $15, in a year. Uh, you know, it's just the way they grew up. Now, you might have grown up and might be experiencing life along those lines. I think you need to acknowledge your circumstance. Acknowledge your circumstance, but don't be defined by your circumstance. Because you are more than that. You are God's children in life. And uh, God can favor and bless us no matter what. I always concern myself with my parents what would become of them. A lot of people can't wait for their folks to die because they wonder how much they're going to receive. When my folks uh, passed from this life, I wonder how many bills I would have to pay, you know. But it didn't turn out that way. You know, God blessed them, and they always had enough, and they always got by. They were always blessed. Now, my life was different. My life was on the other side of that equation. In fact, uh, years ago, there was a, a man in our congregation who's now with the Lord, and his license plate said Sagan, S-E-G-E-N, Sagan. So it's a German word that means blessed, blessed. And, and uh, he was a successful person in life. In fact, that license plate was on the front of his Mercedes, uh, blessed. But he didn't want to ever forget those things came from God. You know, give me the food that is my portion, not too little, you know, lest I be angry and deny thee, Lord, or do wrong things, and not too much, lest I forget you. You know, there's danger on both sides of that equation that we would acknowledge our circumstance but not be defined by it. Because even on the blessed side of the equation, uh, there's a scripture that says, you know, warn those who have much in this world not to put their hope in material things which are quickly often lost. Now, I say I was on that side of the equation, not financially initially, 
In, in fact, when I graduated seminary, uh, my wife was working as a teacher to put us through school, and I was taking part-time jobs as well and working for a moving company on weekends and things. But uh, she was making $7,200 annually as a teacher in a Lutheran school. My first call as a pastor after uh, eight years of school was a whopping $6,800. But they gave us a parsonage. I always argued with the treasurer that you're not really giving me the parsonage because when I leave, you're going to keep it. You're not going to allow me to sell it. And, uh, and we had a good-natured uh, uh, challenge there. But we, we were blessed, and, and uh, God continued to favor us. And blessing isn't always financially. In the early years, uh, you know, we struggled as well to make ends meet. You know, I always say my wife had choices, or my uh, parents had choices. They had to choose which bill to pay. You know, we had times like that as well. Uh, in our early life. But through hard work, uh, through Carol's hard work and also my hard work, through books I wrote, through the buying and selling of property that those of you who know us know we've done a considerable amount of that. You know, God has blessed us also financially. We've worked hard and we've also tithed from the beginning. You know, so God has blessed us on that side of the equation. One side is not better or worse than the other, whether you have little or whether you have much. Uh, both require godly character. My folks had to struggle in life, and not to resent those who had more, to acknowledge this is their life and it's okay. And God can work through these circumstances to give them a good life. I can tell you that Pastor Garrett and I have had uh, many, many memorial services. There's hardly a week goes by we don't have a funeral. And uh, we've stood in front of families who have had much and families who have had little. And what they have in life has not determined their happiness. It hasn't. And I've, I've seen families who've had much who haven't had a great life. And I've seen families who had little that I had to say, could you quiet down in the room? We're about to start a service here. You people are having too much fun. You know, there was just such a good vibe and such a, a, a good feel in the room. So how do you maintain that balance? How do you acknowledge your circumstance, but don't let your riches define you and still keep faith and trust or have poverty and not let your poverty define you, but still have joy and still have trust? There are three things that I'd like to encourage you today uh, to do. And Solomon said, just give me my daily portion you know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread. You know, just take care of today. Take care of today. It's interesting, in the 40 years of wandering in the Old Testament, 40 years, God fed them with what? Manna. And they always had enough manna for the day. If they said, I don't want to work tomorrow, I'm going to gather up twice as much, what happened to it? It rotted. They were forced for 40 years to know God will provide today. God will provide today. They were in a desert, and yet God provided water out of the rocks for them. They were taught for 40 years to trust in God's provision. For this reason, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Now, you have to work for those things. He's not saying sit at home and take it easy. You know, you have to use the gifts that he's given you and the opportunities that present. But don't worry about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. Unbelievers think like that. <laughs> You're different than them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's why I commend you for being here. That's why I commend you for listening. You know, there's nothing else in our culture that does this, that every week comes and sits and says, 
talk to me. Give me some truth for my life because I need it and I need to be reminded of it weekly. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And don't you know all these other things will be provided for you as well? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come and go of its own. Each day has trouble enough of its own. You know, Solomon said, just give me today what is my portion. Do you have enough today? Are you going to eat today? Do you have clothes to wear? Do you have shelter? Then give thanks. Secondly, contentment. Paul said, and and this is in uh, Philippians chapter 4, what a great scripture. I have learned the secret. Man, we all need to know the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well fed, whether I'm on that side of the equation, or whether I'm hungry and, uh, and in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When, I, when it comes to contentment, I, I'll tell you a secret. I, I, I published a few books, and, and one of them was Serenity Principles, and, and uh, I, I still give those away to people who are going through hard times. I've noticed that people get paralyzed by hard times sometimes, and I say, why? You're a person of faith. Why should that stop you? You get downsized in a job? That sucks. I know that that's a, that's a, that's a bummer, but why should you quit living? Why should you quit trusting God? I know you've lost a child, and that's an awful thing. But God doesn't want you to stop. He doesn't want you to have no more joy in your life. And and I've seen that. And and so I I wrote Serenity Principles based on the Serenity Prayer, you know, to accept the things that I cannot change and to change the things I can. And that book's about that. And and, uh, and, uh, I've given out so many of them, I I ran out of them. And and so I I told my secretaries to go out on Amazon and everybody who's dumping my books out there, buy them all that you can buy for under $10. And so she she bought them. And and I looked on Amazon and I happened to see this book there. That's how I came across this book. 30 Lessons for Living, Tried and True Advice from the Wisest Americans. This guy is a gerontologist who studies the lives of old people and the advice they give. He interviewed a thousand people across the nation who were 80 years and older, the World War II generation. And they gave him advice, and, and he's a PhD. He knows how to take surveys, so it wasn't just a good idea. It was actually scientifically uh, and sociologically done correctly. And they gave him advice based on their mistakes and also the positive lessons that they learned in life. And, and when it came time to uh, talk about contentment as he probed uh, that part of life, how do you find contentment? They said, uh, a couple of things, but here were the, here were the two main things. First of all, live small. He didn't mean don't have goals. He didn't mean take risks because there's chapters where they say, no, you got to do that uh, to embrace all the opportunities that God wants to give you. But when, he said, when they said live small, they said, notice the little things in life. Because when you're struggling with the big things in life and when you're suffering setbacks, the little things can keep you going, can keep you positive. Because all around you, there is color. All around you, there's favor. All around you, there's the voice of a child. It may not even be your child. You may be standing in line and hear a child say something and it should make you smile. You have to notice the little things in life. So by noticing the little things in life, you can attack the big things that are challenges in life. So they said, first of all, live small. And then secondly, they said, Choose happiness. I love this was an 85-year-old lady. And here's what she said. Happiness isn't a condition that occurs when circumstances are perfect or nearly so. Sooner or later, you need to make a deliberate choice to be happy in spite of. And and the whole section was called in spite of because it was reoccurring. In spite of challenges and difficulties that everybody experiences. In spite of. 
How are you going to handle those? You know, choose happiness. It's not only okay to plan. Contentment isn't about, you know, saying, well, I'll just be okay with my present situation. No, it's okay to plan. It's okay to reach. It's okay to risk. It's okay to seek education. It's okay to press and invest. But while you plan, while you work, and while you study, be happy with what you have. Manage your expectations. You know, if my parents constantly compared themselves, you know, to people who had more, they would be miserable all their life. You cannot be caught in that trap. My folks were provided for throughout their life, despite the fact that their life was pretty basic almost all their days. And then third, trust. This is a a passage from Solomon, Proverbs chapter 23. I've preached it many times at a wedding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, don't just think it all relies with you. Trust in the Lord. Do your part and expect and know that he will also do his part. And Timothy says, don't place your trust in the uncertainty of riches. This is where it should matter that you are Christian. It says, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's an argument from greater to lesser. If he's done this for you, if he's taken care of this, and he's cleared out everything that stood between you and him, namely sin, everything that you've done wrong, and God only sees you covered in the forgiveness and the righteousness, the perfection that comes from Jesus, you can know that he has your back. You can know that you have his favor. This is one of the reasons why we speak so much about giving here, and this is not a sermon about giving. But it is one of the chief ways that the Bible says you build trust in God. J.C. and uh, Jen Murray uh, mentioned that in their, in their talk. And, uh, and we've experienced that in our life too. No matter how little we made, we always tithe. It was actually easier to tithe when you know how much because 10% of a little is only a little. I'm just saying, you know. It gets harder when you make a lot to tithe because then you say, seriously? I could buy a car with that. But still to tithe. It's one of the ways in which God teaches trust. It, it, it's why he lays it down. So that you remember every time you give that offering, you're saying, God, you gave this to me. I'm just giving you 10%. You're letting me enjoy the 90%. And to use it with wisdom. We tithed, we saved, and we worked hard. And it's embarrassing. It's actually, I told Carol, don't you feel guilty sometimes? It's a little embarrassing how much God has poured blessing into our life. There's no reason to feel guilty, but sometimes you just say, how did this ever happen as you look back? Now, there's reason to trust. In fact, no greater reason than in the nature of God. We say in the Apostles' Creed, and and we say it on the basis of Scripture, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God defines himself, even in the Old Testament, as as, uh, uh, a multiple uh, person, but yet one God. We have Father who has created the world and still provides for us. And, and so I know he didn't just step back. He still brings blessing into my life. He still causes crops to grow. He still blesses those who work according to his will. And then I have the son who has redeemed me and given me every reason to expect a father's favor because he's taken sin out of my life. And then I have the Holy Spirit who's the convictor. You know, he brought me to faith, but he also keeps me in faith. And when you hear the truth, you know it's true because the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Even if you argue against it, 
You know, so you have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all there reminding you there's reason to trust for what God will provide for what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit enables. It's a balancing act. I don't know if on the playgrounds uh, you had, I never had one that nice. We just had a plank. Uh, But these teeter-totters, in fact, most playgrounds don't have them anymore because they're dangerous. You know, but uh, it's a balancing act to balance between acknowledging the reality of your present situation but not being defined by it. Still trusting in God, whether you have much or whether you have little. Those are the keys to managing the blessing without allowing it to turn dark in your life. May God grant it. Let me pray for you. Lord, you have poured blessing into our life and and probably those in this room and and those who have a computer and able to live stream, uh, probably more blessing than the average person. And I know that blessing can destroy as well as uh, encourage. Lord, don't let that happen in our life. Don't let us be defined by our blessing. Don't let us be defined by our struggle. Help us in every situation to see a reason to trust in you and a reason to believe that your intention is to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a a hope and a future. This we pray with confidence uh, through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Please rise if you will. This this next song is an awesome song. It's it's a well-known Christian song. If you've been Christian a while, you know it. It's called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But I want you to pay special attention, and they're going to sing it in such a way that you focus on these words that says, um, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah, that's our human nature. We're prone to forget. We're prone to complain. We're prone to wander. And in this song, we say, Lord, overcome my human nature. God bless.